0: We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 167 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, it's my great pleasure to have Girish Janeja, Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer of Dover Corporation, a diversified global manufacturing solutions provider with annual revenue of over $7 billion. Prior to joining Dover in 2017, Garish served as Chief Technology Officer of Altasource Portfolio Solutions, a premier marketplace and transaction solutions provider for the real estate and mortgage industries. Prior, he was General Manager of Big Data Products and Chief Technology Officer of Data Center Software at Intel Corporation. There he led the company's Big Data Software strategy, drove the technology vision for Intel's data center software, and launched the Intel Hadoop platform worldwide. As part of Intel's executive team, he helped lead several strategic acquisitions, including the acquisition of McAfee. Garish came to Intel through the acquisition of Sarvega, a company he co-founded to deliver XML solutions for enterprise IT. He had his career start with senior technology and management roles at Thompson Financial Services, Verizon, and MCI Telecommunications. Garish holds a BE and MS in economics, electrical, and electronics engineering from Burley Institute of Technology and Science an MS in computer science from the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, and an MBA in finance and strategy from the University of Chicago. Garish, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Thank you. appreciate you having me here. Oh, appreciate you taking the time. If I judge one's value in terms of a podcast based on how long it takes us to actually coordinate and get everything there, this is going to be a really interesting podcast <laughs> because you and I have been working to schedule this for quite a while. <laughs> I always like to start off with this idea of a digital thread. What would you consider to be your digital thread? In other words, the one or more thematic threads that have defined your digital industry journey? Yeah,
1: Ken, that's a really fascinating question. Actually, it helps me think through connecting the dots in my career as I've been in different verticals. The theme that kind of runs through all of them, better or worse, has been businesses that have been trying to change what they do with the use of technology. So I go back to my early years in telecom, such as MCI and later GTE, both of which are Verizon. Telco is trying to move upstream and having some value add on the content side. This is where I spent the first 10 years where they were innovating on what content services we can deploy. And they were starting from scratch, literally having built major businesses around the core telco services, but little to no experience in content. And then, you know, that is kind of what led me to Sarvega. I'll come back lightly to explain how that story came about. And then at Intel, again, you know, a company steeped in tradition of silicon and silicon innovation, beginning to see cloud and mobility transitioning away from having kind of this monolithic silicon architecture to far more distributed silicon architecture and how to position in that market. Their open source software became a big lever to try and influence the purchasers of silicon so that they can keep the customer on Intel Silicon despite the changes in the architecture that was happening at that time at the hardware level. And then later on, and uh, all these sorts financial industry, as you know, real estate has gone through at least two or three major digitization cycles. This was the last one coming out of the recession in 2008 and trying to completely digitize the entire Process all the way from origination to servicing and generating value as a result of doing that. And finally, at Dover again, in my last four years in manufacturing, Dover is a great company with wonderful brands that have been there. These are storied brands. That have been there 80, 100 years, some of them longer than Dover's own lifespan. And as is true of manufacturing companies, a lot of continuous improvement and lean culture. Now looking at the next step function change in value creation and digital is one of those value creation levers. So that's another similar digital thread running through my career. So here we are.
0: Wow, what a great background so, to uh, culminate in the role that you're working at now. Let's take that last digital lever, as you call it, or change lever. really like to start with a broad question, and that is really what does
1: digital transformation mean to you? Yeah, it's <laughs> Yet, as you know, it's become kind of the buzzword I've used for to describe everything and anything to do with technology. And then, I for a while, you begin to think, "Is it is it just a marketing term?" So you got to step back and see more from, I would say, a business standpoint rather than a technology standpoint. Fundamentally, it's a core value creation lever. To me, digital transformation is that is non incremental in nature. So technology is used in industries all the time. I am referring to information technology. And a lot of times it's used as a continuous improvement lever, automation of certain processes, reducing the error rate of some manual efforts, making the materials management work in an industrial environment, materials flow work, making the billing and accounts payable far more automated. Those to me are all continuous improvement exercises that happen and needs to happen in businesses all day long as information technology advances. Digital transformation is about rethinking the product, the service, or the operations from the bottom up in terms of experiences it offers to different personas engaged in it, reimagining that experience to address stated and unstated needs, and eventual goal being to generate exponential value out of that effort. And that's kind of the way I look at digital transformation efforts that we push at internally and over.
0: Yeah, you hit on several great points there. This idea of non-incremental change, truly the transformation element, rethinking business processes as part of that, and really looking for exponential results coming out of it as well. Let's go back to some of your early entrepreneurial work, because I think it's salient to what you're doing now. You co-founded Sarvega. And so, first of all, you're always impressed when we see somebody who has been in the entrepreneurial trenches end up in a chief digital officer role. What inspired you to the data management space and XML
1: appliances at the time? (laughs) So I'll, I'll date myself and the technology at that time, Ken. This is going back almost a couple of decades now. So but I think it'll be an interesting maybe conversation as it connects some of the threads we do now. In my early career, I worked in telecom and financial industry when Internet was still in its infancy, first major innovation cycle. And if you recall those days, the focus really was about presenting information in interesting interactive ways to a user because the origin of a worldwide consortium and html came from a publishing industry standard called sgml the xml standard came about in i think 1998 and i was first exposed to it right around that time and what really struck me was what a wonderful way for systems to be able to talk to systems So getting out of just kind of a consumer or a customer interaction with a site or a web page, to me, XML was just a transformative way to change the way systems and data interacted with each other. Data used to be locked up in information silos and required tons of effort to make use of it in applications for which it was not designed for. And that's got me going on with the idea of Sarvega. And obviously that became the norm and now if we look at hindsight, JSON has in some ways overtaken XML, but the notion of semantically structured data has continued with us for the last 20 years.
0: Yeah, well said on that last point, especially when you see non-IP data, typical OT data, if you will, factory floor systems, etc. A number of companies, kind of starting with Kepware. But a number of others recently have launched to really look at how to semantically classify that data and, of course, normalize it. And that's a hotbed right now for, I hear people call it industrial data ops. So there you go. (laughs) So even though you've dated yourself, I'd say those patterns are uh, really just hitting the ITOT kind of a converge space here just now.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I completely agree. We're beginning to see that. Moving away to more semantically defined machine data that can be then processed by engines along the way and and certain capabilities around quality and process improvement can be added with the ability to read that semantic data through a machine. So I think we are in the sunrise side of those applications for the next few years.
0: Yeah, yeah, fully agreed. Well, going back to uh, Sarvega, you must have done well as you exited the company to Intel. And then subsequently, as we said, serving as a general manager for application security and identity products and general manager, big data over your eight year tenure. If I could ask you to kind of boil down your insights during that time, uh, that tenure into really kind of three insights around enterprise software,
1: what would those be? Yeah, it's so, you know, that's when you spend uh, 30 years in a career, you get asked inside questions. So <laughs> I would uh, put a bit of an asterisk on it. This is one person's opinion. I'm sure there are many others. But it's been an interesting journey for me. I've spent most of my career building, deploying, managing environments around enterprise software. And I would say the three things to me jump out and they're consistent. They've happened across industries. Timings are different, but they happened. Time and again. One, enterprise software adoption cycles based on innovations are long. So you start something, I remember Sarvega days, it's a five to seven year adoption cycle, but they are secular. They last the next 10 to 15 years. So they just migrate from early adopter verticals, you know, people often consider financial and technology as early adopters of any kind of information technology innovation. But then they, over the 10 years or so, traverse through all the way from early adopters to laggards till they are fully embraced by the entire industry. And they often get then disrupted by something better. And then we kind of get started that same cycle again. Second, the difference that I have seen in the last 20 years is that time to value expectations continue to shrink, right? The software delivery models going from enterprise software to SaaS and cloud And that immediate uh, feedback loop available through mobile experiences, that has also affected time-to-value expectations. And so enterprise software, regardless of its delivery model, needs to demonstrate ROI now in six, nine months or less kind of time frames. used to be 18, 24 months, 20 years ago. And the third bit, which is fascinating to people who are more technology-minded, is when you look at the infrastructure, by that I mean network, compute, memory. There's an innovation cycle in that infrastructure layer. That innovation cycle and the enterprise software innovation cycle are intertwined. Progress in infrastructure, whether that be internet and cloud, smart mobility in AI hardware or in 5G, is followed by innovation cycle in enterprise software. And the extensions of those enterprise software usages Eventually feedback the loop to drive more infrastructure innovation. Those three themes to me have been consistent. I mean, if you look recently, the cloud infrastructure model led to SaaS model of enterprise software, smart mobility led to apps and enterprise apps, AI hardware is leading to innovations in how some of the applications are delivered and how AI and machine learning is becoming part of this. And I'm sure 5G will drive another enterprise software innovation spike, especially in industrials, where there is a lot of communication issues due to a lot of metal available at the factory floor, around Wi-Fi and so on. And this private 5G model potentially has an opportunity to remake the software stack inside a factory.
0: Three great points in there. We often discuss with our podcast guests around the adoption rates for industrial IoT which clearly did not meet some of the initial hype driven analyst predictions around how quickly the OT, if you will, generally would adopt such things. I think your point number one is really applicable there. And perhaps with an OT bias, you know, you could add a couple years on both the adoption and kind of the stickiness side of it. But again, I think your past and your insights well position you uh, for your current role. So let's go ahead and fast forward to that current role. So you're SVP and Chief Digital Officer at Dover. Tell us a bit about both the company and your remit there.
1: Sure, sure. So like I said earlier, right, Dover is a fascinating, diverse industrial manufacturing company. We build a range of software industrial products. We take them, uh, sorry, sophisticated industrial products. We take them to market through our five segments. We sell not just the products, but also their parts and consumables. In order to make these products work, we also, in many cases, have embedded electronics and software with them that is built internally. And in many manufacturing factories that we have, we also design our manufacturing processes and occasionally tooling. We have a very diverse worldwide workforce that is highly talented and a broad ecosystem of channels and partners that oftentimes work very closely with us for doing installation and services. So, all of these activities, as you can well imagine, are enabled heavily by information, the IT and OT capabilities that we deploy and continue to innovate upon across our companies. And because we are so diverse, obviously, there's no central model that works in this entire environment. So, my remit is kind of, in some ways, I can put it in as a threefold category. One is to... Drive digital innovations in our physical products, in our processes, and across business functions, especially when they can create business value across our family of companies. And this could be organic or inorganic. So that's kind of one aspect of it. The second, I would say, is to hire, nurture, and motivate digital talent that comes to Dover, either internally, kind of incubated and grown, or via acquisitions, or by hiring, because Eventually, digital innovation is driven by people, and having the right set of skill set becomes supremely important, especially in industrial manufacturing companies where whether that is where that has not been the forte traditionally. And the third is to provide governance and oversight on information technology, digital products, and other services that are enabled by digitization or information technology to ensure that they're used in a secure way, they're used, they're built with manageable costs and they're fit for purpose. So I would package it in those three areas. The first one clearly focused on new revenue, new growth. The last one clearly more focused on better utilization of resources or more, I would say, cost side focus on improving our efficiencies while at the same time securing our environments and people being the bridge between the two. Mm,
0: yeah, well said, especially the people statement, because digital transformation, obviously, is cultural change, especially for companies that have a hardware DNA to them, as Dover traditionally has. You've joined this role in 2017 or took on this role. Tell us about some of your early use cases and wins.
1: Yeah, sure. So I would call it our teams or broader digital teams, use cases and wins. As you earlier mentioned, right, these are change management jobs. And we really need to bring that internal buy-in together to push forward towards a certain direction. So those changes are only made with the full collaboration of teams across our businesses. I think as we reflect internally, I would say there are a couple of areas I can call out which have done really well. One of the issues in typically disparate industrial manufacturing companies like Dover, especially five or six years ago, was this massive I would say, decentralization of information technology. And then as a result, a lot of legacy information technology and traditional thinking around IT governance gets set in place. So one of the earlier efforts that we made, which has borne itself out over the last two or three years, is to really completely rethink how infrastructure and and kind of keep the lights on IT needs to be managed, organized, secured, supported, and governed and run through a three-iterative kind of cycle on it in order to reach to the transformation end goal. And this has allowed us many old systems for functional operations consolidate on few far more managed and governed and more SaaS-like business systems and then standardize our processes, how people engage with those systems around it. That has been a big win, I think, uh, for Dover as a whole. then a second example I would mention is more on product innovation side. So there are many examples of that. I'll mention one or two, but general theme is four years ago, barely any physical product we manufactured were connected or connectable to industrial IoT or IoT environments if they were in the field. Over the last four years, we have connected many hundreds of our solutions that offer now connected operations. And many tens of them have additional value adds on top of that, such as not just they are connectable or connected, they also offer functional capability like improved safety, demonstrably improved efficiency, productive maintenance in some areas, and then quality of operations oversight in some other areas. To give you one public example, we acquired a company about five years ago called Third Eye, which at that time when we acquired it was primarily in basic telematics, like regarding the video with the camera or They barely started at that time connecting those video streams back to cloud. But by closely integrating that in our waste hauling equipment manufacturing, we build the trucks that are waste trucks that large waste haulers use. We closely integrated the third eye technology at multiple levels in that truck. And now we are able to look at the same truck as a factory on wheels, right, that has Safety capabilities that it offers, operational efficiency capability that it offers, performance and utilization and you know kind of driver efficiency capabilities, all of those exposed through the data that is collected through that truck while it's doing a service operations, looking across a fleet, layering those capabilities that I just mentioned on top of that data, and then offering that as a service to the haulers. Back off so they can maintain their fleet, which is the single largest capital expense they have in a better, more efficient way. So, that example would maybe illustrative of the product innovation side of it.
0: You know, the idea of having to rethink, as you said, your IT or your data systems base. I've heard very similar patterns in your peers at other companies as well, where they've had to come in and really think about the not kind of the center business systems, but really, as you say, those physical systems, those systems that touchdown to the factory floor, supply chain, et cetera, and really think as one calls it customer back, right? Starting with the customer use case and working all the way back to understand how all those digital systems apply. And what I like about the product innovation example you looked at is there tends to be kind of three phases we see. There's more efficient, if you will, operations, which is kind of the base use case. There's value-added services like predictive analytics, if you will. Predictive maintenance is a traditional one. Then there's this nirvana of product as a service, or in some cases, service as a product. And it's interesting because the examples you gave almost touched all three of those, right? When you Mm -hmm. talked about this factory on the wheels concept, which I think is pretty interesting. Let me ask a lot of the first movers in digital industry, like GE, created central organizations and usually took on this subtitle of digital, right? It's almost like calling an organization the innovation organization. Some of those course have been a bit more successful than others, which is interesting for you, because in some sense you guys can play the fast follower if you choose to, right? And learn from your peers. To whom do you look for inspiration on your own digital journey and how are you organizing to approach this opportunity, if you will?
1: <laughs> yeah, this question always creates the most interesting dialogue whenever we we talk about digital transformation, doesn't it? So look, I firmly believe there isn't like one playbook that works for all industrial companies. More often, more closer I've gotten to our peer group in industrial companies, more I have understood how different some of them are from each other. Now, industrial manufacturing companies, because they end up having multiple businesses under a roof, end up being fairly unique once you understand exactly what markets they play in how they play in those markets, and what kind of role competitors, partners, and the ecosystem play. Because that kind of define the play field you have for digitization available to you. So we try and be cognizant of learnings from our people, larger industrial companies that have tried or are trying two or three models before. But we try to kind of chart our own course that fits Dover best. And it may or may not look exactly like anyone else's. But the good news is there are three or four different design patterns out there so we can pick and choose what applies in certain areas where we want to move the needle forward for our business. Yeah, I like the way you worded that. So there may not be
0: one playbook, perhaps, that fits. But as you think of those design patterns as being chapters, you can apply depending on your situation and use case, right? You freely choose from a lot of different good examples in the industry. And again, it's good when you're in a fast follower stage.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is a multi-inning game, right? You have to iteratively move. So you're trying to major transformations, But you have to have organizational change happen to kind of collaborate with that transformation goal. So you have to deal with it as situation arises, but in multiple layers. So there are certain transformations that are easier than others from a change management standpoint. And so you kind of go ahead and do those and then you prepare the organization for the next stage. And meanwhile... The environment around Dover is also evolving. The ecosystem is evolving. Our portfolio is evolving. We buy and sell companies. We have a portfolio strategy. That also influences then what is the next bigger change of transformation possible, which is why I said it's not always exact ones. You almost have recipes out there and you pick which recipe might fit. And sometimes you're creating your own, a new one. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it.
0: You mentioned earlier people being the bridge between really driving this digital change at the uh, and then the physical and providing governance and talent overall. So how do you assess each of your team's readiness for digital change and how are you building the leadership and infrastructure to support
1: that transformation? That's another topic of hot discussions oftentimes, which is how to disseminate that leadership, that digital awareness across organization. I think we we are finding our way through it. But there are two aspects in the way we apply this assessment to our operating companies. First is more outside in, which is the criticality of role digital transformation is likely going to play in the business at a particular moment in time. And then second is more internal, how ready and capable the organization really is to fully leverage digital transformation. So while the timing can be defined outside in, if we believe the role of digitization is significant for that business to fully leverage it, the latter defines the path we take, right? We can take a more lean-in path where... We have certain corporate digital innovation resources and leadership because they need to go faster. We come in there and help our businesses to move faster in that direction. Or if the organizational internal capability exists, then, then we play more of a supportive role. That being said, in all fairness, there's also an opportunistic element of this readiness. Sometimes... You get some very interesting, relevant M&A opportunities that might offer value creation and the organization may not be right away at that point, be fully ready to absorb it. So you're not going to wait for perfection in some cases. you, In that case, surround them with additional capabilities from corporate, but still move ahead because those opportunities are far and few between these days.
0: Mm, yes, and you certainly need to move quick, given how frothy of a market is right now, particularly. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned outside-in portfolio M and A, all leading to this, you know, thought of leveraging the innovation ecosystem, both inside and outside the company. What's your strategy? How are you guys approaching this?
1: Yes, yeah, so Ken, when I joined Boer, I was the CDO, but I was also the employee number one of the digital organization. So <laughs> the need for talent, I've been very acutely aware of it since the time I started this job. And so we have taken a multi-pronged approach, and I would say we continue to tweak upon it as labor markets tight and various other, you know, the cost and, of good digital talent continues to rise. So we take an approach where we have internal and external innovation ecosystems. On the external side, we work with universities. We have some labs that we have worked with MIT on, Georgia Tech on, some universities in Europe, uh, close to where plants are situated. We have worked with them on. On the external side, we also work with or uh, are in close touch with venture groups that tend to invest in industrial software companies. So we have Early eyes on what capabilities might be out there that we may down the road look at as business secretions by M&A, and then some private equity companies that play closely in industrial software companies, stay in close touch with them. On the organic side, which is really where the magic comes together, we have a digital lab here in Watertown, Massachusetts, where I am today, and not a very large lab, but we do have a lot of thought leadership that comes from here on digital innovation possibilities. I mean they're allowed to really do more breakthrough thinking and not to just look at the next immediate adjacencies, but to look further out and to experiment with it and then try to bring it together as valid business cases that the operating companies who have the field resources can take to market. So that is another angle. And then finally, when you look at digitization in the processes, that is far more of collaborative effort in operating companies where you're trying to drive change management, not just in technology, but in people and process. So we have this major initiative going on on digitizing our commercial operations on on having most of our product information and transactional capabilities to our channels available digitally. And there we closely collaborate with the sales and marketing teams. And we continue to ask for, and the, the leaders in the operating companies continue to push for in their organization, bringing in digital marketing, digital selling capabilities so that they can fully take leverage of technologies we're putting in place for them. So it, it is a multi-pronged aspect, multi-pronged effort. Uh, this is, to me, one of the biggest reasons digitization in industrial companies succeeds or fails. It's really the right talent in the right place at the right time.
0: Mm. And I'd say a holistic perspective. You seem to appreciate the outside innovation as much as you appreciate the organic, if you will, innovation internally. And I think that's absolutely key. As you said, you know, um, external innovations might really catalyze, if you will, what the company needs to do, but both, or like you said, looking at the ability of your company to absorb such change is absolutely as critical as well. And so it, in some sense, defines that dual-footed role of the best chief digital officers, one foot in kind of that external innovation arena and one foot in the company's operations and future. And so, well done. So in closing, I always like to ask, tell me a bit about how you find your personal inspiration.
1: (laughs) We are all following in the steps of giants. There are a lot of phenomenal people, thinkers out there that have led business changes, complex business changes. It's funny, I'm father of two grown up boys, and I have to tell you, I learn more from them every day. <laughs> so, broadly speaking, we are going in the footsteps of giants. You know, the people have made giant strides in business transformations through technology. If you look at tech companies, some of them that have successfully transitioned from a traditional tech company to a modern tech company, you take examples of Adobe and Google and Microsoft. I mean, There's a lot to learn there on how to make business transformations work. In industrial side, you look at Siemens and others that are making significant strides. But really where I come back to is change, right? How to make people come together in this change exercise that we are going on to. And there I've learned that the softer skills are are as relevant and actually in some ways far more relevant than hard technology skills in making these change management journeys possible. So I love books like Blink by Malcolm Gladwell that talks about how we make decisions based on first impressions, sometimes for good, sometimes for plunders, or economic books like Nudge by Richard Taylor, which talks about human behavior and its impact on how choices are presented. So I have to tell you, I've learned more from this non-technical reading, because I believe more of my work now involves Affecting that change, and then I need to kind of better understand how that is done in a easier at scale way manner that is deployable in organization with the complexity that we have. So I get some inspiration from those. Used to be,
0: a, I guess, a logo phrase from the TV show A Team. I love it when a plan comes together, <laughs> <laughs> and again, probably defines the role of the chief digital officer. So. Garish, it was well worth the wait to finally get a chance to put this together. So thank you for sharing the time and these insights with us today. Thanks,
1: Ken. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Appreciate it. As well. So this has been Garish Geneja, Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer of Dover Corporation, a man and a company redefining what's possible. Thank you for listening. And please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momented Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.